Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number six today. Proverbs chapter number six. I'll begin reading with verse number 12. Proverbs six and verse number 12. Amen. I want to say thank you to our men who went to the conference in Maryville, Tennessee here over the past couple of days. We're back. We may be tired, but our spirits are refreshed inside of us. Amen. Had a tremendous conference there. Amen. And expecting just good things to come about from that even in days to come. I don't know or not, but I almost think that the guys talked more than the ladies did. <laughs> no, I didn't on this trip. Uh, so I don't know. It's almost kind of just debunked everything that I ever thought, you know. But uh, we had a good time. Ask uh, also to be praying for Sister McGee and I. We're going to be yet running again this coming weekend. Uh, Thursday, we're going to be living, uh, leaving out to go to Nashville, Tennessee, uh, to a women's reformatory there. And there's going to be a group of us from different states gathering there to have several series of services within uh, the women's reformatory in Nashville. We have done this on several occasions in Ohio, but places opened up in Nashville for us to go. And so we're going to go and be down there. And just pray that the Lord's would be, will, would be done within the walls of, of that prison, of the lives of those, those ladies that, that are there, that we can be of some help in some way. Amen. Proverbs 6, verse number 12. Also want to greet all of our guests today that are here. Thank you for being here. We are glad to have Steve and Jennifer with us this morning. Amen. Thank you for coming and being a part of our service. We want you to know that you're welcome here anytime. Amen. That you would choose to come. So grateful that you have just dropped by today. Verse number 12, the Bible says, A naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a forward mouth. He winketh with his eyes, he speaketh with his feet, he teacheth with his fingers. Forwardness is in his heart, he deviseth mischief continually. He soweth discord. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly, Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. Verse 16, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. For at imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Today, going to try to uh, springboard on a series here today about the seven things God hates. The seven things God hates. And I think it's important, and perhaps you understand better before we have finished here today, that it's things. Seven things that God hates. Not to, not to be confused that 
things. Amen. This morning, we're going to ask the Lord to help us today. Father, I love you. Help us, Lord, in this Lord lesson today. God, to be able, Lord, to share of your word. God, something that will be of benefit, Lord, to each and every one of us, Lord, in this place this morning. Pray, God, that you're able to help us and you're able, Lord Jesus, to speak through your word. It is already anointed. It's forever settled. It's a settled word. Heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will stand forever. God, and we, Lord, believe in that and we, Lord, endorse that. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. The church say amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Seven things God, God hates. We will not get through all seven today. But however, starting this series today, I think it's important just to consider the book of Proverbs here for a moment. You could begin to look at the book of Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs is one of the most practical books in all of Scripture. It's one of the most practical books in all of Scripture. As a matter of fact, I... I challenge you that if uh, Bible reading is a difficult thing for you, start sometime in the Proverbs. Start sometime in the Proverbs and take, even if it's just a few verses, but you'll see their application just to real life because Proverbs much talks about real life items. And so as we read them, sometimes we can almost see them as, as though they are are laws that are spoken or promises that are spoken that are guaranteed. But many times those things that are even spoken in the Proverbs seem to have some exceptions, we might say, to them. Some exceptions to them. Not, not all completely certain. And so when we look at that, Solomon, of course, for the most part being uh, the writer of the Proverbs, he begins to describe a few different things to us here in Proverbs chapter number 6. As a matter of fact, the totality of Proverbs chapter number six is a pattern, really. If you look at it, he begins to talk to us in the first verses of Proverbs six. He talks about an individual being a surety for a friend or if we can bring it to modern day language, someone co-signing for another person. Particularly whenever that person is probably not trustworthy and will default on the money that was taken out. And then the person who co-signed is going to have to be responsible uh, for their irresponsibility. And so he, he speaks he speaks about that. Then in the next section, he talks about basically a person that is a sloth. Even the animal, the sloth, you know, is, is kind of uh, pretends in our mind someone that is lazy, that don't want to work. It's not that they don't have the ability to work. They just don't want to work. And then he comes to the area that we are concerning today, and that is a person and their character their character and what they do. And before he finishes out Proverbs 6, he will talk about a man that gives himself to adultery, talking about the morality of a person. And so Proverbs 6, the pattern really that's really followed is this. It's a pattern not to be followed. <laughs> Proverbs 6 is one of those chapters in the Bible. This is what you want to abstain uh, from doing. And so with the pattern that is in Proverbs 6, the first story really talks about Bad financial decisions. It's a bad financial decision to co-sign for a person that you know is going to default on whatever money it is that they're bringing out. And for that matter, let's get just real practical. If a person needs somebody to co-sign them, that indicates something, doesn't it? Hmm? Right? 
So they've not yet built up credit or reputation to be trustworthy enough to have a certain amount of money loaned out to them. Correct. And so bad financial decisions, uh, that, that second element of the sloth, then a bad work ethic, you know, not willing to not willing to work in the, the area that we'll be viewing this morning. A, a bad, a bad character, a bad character, bad integrity about an individual. And then lastly, that last section of Proverbs is dealing with a bad then moral behavior. And so Proverbs six is this recipe. That if you desire, if you would desire to ruin your life, <laughs> if I could say it like that, if you desire to ruin your life, just make bad financial decisions, have a bad work ethic, uh, hone a bad character, and have bad moral behavior, and you will be successful at ruining your life. And so if that is the prescription or the recipe for doing that, then the opposite would probably be true then for perhaps getting by with a little bit of success uh, in our lives. And we will look at, as weeks go on, the correlation between verse number 12, the naughty person, the wicked person, and those that practice the six things, or rather the seven things that God hates, or those things that are an abomination to him. And with that being said this morning, the Bible says six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination seven are an abomination so we see this six and then this seven thing the bible does this oftentimes in scripture particularly in proverbs it might say there's three things that so and so but four and it gives this progression of a number and then like adding just one to it of another number and whenever it does that many things it's just many times it's just so showing a, a progression it's coming to a climax uh, if you're looking at the things that God hates or these things that are abomination and you look at each one of them, you will see that there are literally seven that are listed here in the scripture. But it's not like there's six things that God hates and then seven of them are abomination as though there's one of them that God doesn't hate. Because anything that is an abomination to God, which abomination is, is something that, that God just totally detests, Anything that's abomination to God is something that God does not like, something that God does not favor, something that God is set against or the word that's used in Scripture that's so strong to us that God hates. And so it goes to reason that if all seven are abomination, these are all, all things that God detests and God is set against or if we can use this strong language of the Scripture that God hates. And so as humanity and even in society today, our problem is this. We struggle with this because what is always, and I would say not always, but for the most part, usually uh, purported and advertised in churches in society is God is a God of love. And so people have a struggle when they hear God hating because the idea and the concept that has been uh, put forward perhaps more than anything is that God is a God of love. And I, I guarantee, absolutely, Scripture bears uh, this out that God is a God of love. First John uh, talks over and over again that not only is he a God of love, but God is love. That, that love isn't just something that God does. Love is who God is. And so we struggle, though, then, with this concept and this idea of, of God hating. Um, we're asking ourselves, how can a God who loves 
a God who is love, how in the world can he hate? How, how can he do this? It, it would seem to go against his nature. How, how can there be these things, amen, that he would actually hate in the word of the Lord? And yet we will find out that it is quite possible for him to do so. Because again, in Proverbs, the word hate is describing to us something that God is set against. Something that is an aversion to God. Something that, that God despises or God detests. Amen? And so whenever we understand this and we go to the scripture, we understand that there are seven things in Proverbs. And this is not an exhaustive list. This is basically, it's not like there's seven things that God hates and that's it. That's the cap. There's nothing else that God uh, despises or abhors. No, it's just given us a sample list so we can give, get a feel for the nature of God concerning the things that he dislikes or has an aversion to. So it's not an exhaustive list. It is just a sample list for you and I. As a matter of fact, it's important, I stated this from the onset today, that these are seven things. Everybody say things. Seven things that God hates. It does not say these are seven people that God hates. Because I think sometimes when we read Proverbs 6 and we read that list and we read the things of a proud look and a lying tongue and all these different things that are mentioned there, we assume, we make the assumption that since God hates these things, that if a person practices these things, then he will hate them. Huh? Has that ever passed through your mind? When you've read Proverbs 6, well, God, God, God hates a proud look. Well, that person there is arrogant. God hates them. I'm just, how our brain works. Well, they're, they're, they have a lying tongue. You know, they practice lying. God hates them. The Bible says God hates these things. But it doesn't say anything about him hating the people. God through his word, I, I have, I've tried to search and I've tried to, be, I've tried to be very thorough in my search. God, throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, what I see over and over again is God is constantly loving people. Even when people do everything that's in opposition to God. When people literally hate God, I see over and over again that God continues... With an undying love to reach for, love, and appreciate people. But what I have found from Genesis to Revelation, all the while that he loves people, there are things and behaviors and motives and attitudes that God hates, that God detests. Someone say amen. So herein lies the solution to this, this, this malady of God hating things that people may do but love the person who may be doing them. And we might be able to use some practical things in life to, to bring this home for our understanding today. 
If God is going to get close to a person, if I put it in terms of a husband-wife relationship, because the scripture speaks of us being the bride of Christ, that if God is going to get intimate with his bride, if, if he's going to associate himself with his bride, then the things that she practices are probably going to be pleasing to him. Another way to say it is this. If we believe that God is going to get intimate with people or associate with people when they are practicing things that he hates, then we have another thing coming. All right? Now listen here. Because we can have a rotten behavior. That's a lot of what Proverbs 6, that segment of Scripture, those seven things. We can have a rotten behavior. Let's look at it in human standards, husband and wife relationship. I can have a rotten, rotten behavior and attitude with my wife, Sister McGee. Have a rotten attitude with her. We can get in a scuffle, man. I just, you know, was just kind of ugly. Maybe use some brute words, whatever. Just was ugly with her. She doesn't stop loving me. She don't. She don't stop loving me at that stage because I, I spoke some harsh words or maybe I had a rotten behavior toward her or whatever. She, she, she doesn't stop loving me. But, listen, neither does she desire when we go to bed at night that I necessarily cuddle and put my arms around her if I've not resolved. <laughs> resolved the issue. Because she loves me, but she's not condoning how I acted. It doesn't stop her loving me, but she's not pleased with how I behave. So she, she's, she'll love me at a distance if she has to, but if I plan on getting close to her again, huh? If I plan on getting close to her again, then I'm going to have to make a mean amends for the behavior, for the thing that she detested. God hates things. He loves people. But in order for people and God to get close and intimate and have relationship with one another, he'll love us at a distance if he has to. But he wants to get close to us. But the only way he can get close to us if we remove the element that opposes him, that detests him, that he adores, and he has an aversion toward. If he's as strong, if God is as strong to tell us in the book of Revelation that there is no sin that's going to enter into heaven. All right? No sin's going to enter into heaven. Then we cannot expect God to embrace our sinning on earth. He detests that. Does that mean God doesn't love you? No. But it just means he can't be intimate with you. He can't be intimate with you. God loves us all today. Every single individual that's sitting here this morning, God loves us all. But I can't expect to get close to him or perhaps he to me, amen, until my behavior 
those things, that lying tongue, proud look, all these things, particularly those who have already made a confession and have allowed God to be into their space. You know, they've already said the vow, per se, you know, unto the Lord. We can't, have, we can't be close to God with the things that, we that he detests being practiced in our lives. He admonished, he admonished Israel, he admonished Israel, Amos 5, verse 14 and 15, if you could get that for me this morning, Sister McGee, Amos 5, verse 14 and 15, you can just walk with me here today, some of these verses of scripture she does not have this morning, amen. The Bible states this, he, he's talking to Israel, the prophet Amos is speaking to Israel, this is the admonition to the nation of Israel, he says, Seek good and not evil, that ye may live. Look at the prescription here. So the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with, huh? With you as ye have spoken. He goes on in verse 15. Hate the evil. They knew what that was. The Lord, many times, even Deuteronomy, made lists for them. Gave them a feel, an idea of what was in opposition to him. What was an aversion to him. He, the, the prophet is saying, hate that stuff. And love the good. And establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious into the remnant of Joseph. You know what he's saying? He's saying, if you'll seek the good and you'll hate the evil, God will be with you. He won't only love you, but he'll get close to you. Hallelujah. Whenever sometimes he seems afar off, that's not God. That's not God saying, no, I'm not going to love them. That's him saying, I can't get close to them right now because of some matters and things. But if they will turn to me in repentance, if they will turn to me with a contrite spirit, a humble heart, honey, I, I, I'm going to draw. What James said, they said, draw nigh unto God and he'll draw nigh to you. What that all boils down to is this. When it speaks of drawing nigh, it's talking about if you will be, this is basically really the, the, the gist of the paraphrasing of it. If you'll become more like him, you'll find yourself close to him. And in order to become like him, you got to detest the things that he detests. You, you got to look at the things that he says, no, I can't have that. Say, I can't have that either. Amen. Why? Because you are in a love relationship with your God. He's loving us. Here's where it comes. Many times. God's always loving us. Always loving us. The separation many times happens whenever we're not loving God as we should be loving God. His love, his love, his love, that unconditional love of God, it's constant, it's pure, it's unwavering. Our love is like a roller coaster at an amusement park. It hits the top of the hill and then real quick and it hits it and sometimes it's kind of shaky. It's a thrill ride. You lose your stomachs at some times and the other times you're about ready to lose your lunch. Our love, though, it vacillates. Our love vacillates. And it's in those moments that I'm practicing things that are detestable. It's in those moments that I speak harsh words to my wife. What I'm doing is I'm not loving her as I should. I'm not loving her as, as I should. Notice Zechariah chapter 18 as well. Zechariah chapter number 8, rather, and verse number 17. Zechariah 8 
In verse number 17, you can just walk through some of these verses here with me this morning. The Bible states these words. And let none of you, the prophet Zechariah says, and let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. And love no false oath. Again, for all these, for all these are, everybody say things, things that I hate saith the Lord. So he's given just a few more examples of these things that he hates. When we look in the book of Revelation and he speaks to some of the seven churches of the book of Revelation, the Bible says that he hated the deeds. That's the wording. He hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which was a group of people. Note though, he didn't say he hated the Nicolaitans, but he hated their deeds. As a matter of fact, he continues to say in Revelation 2 and 15 concerning the same group of people, the Nicolaitans, he speaks that he hates the doctrine, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Did he hate the Nicolaitans? No. He loved them, reaching for them, vying for their attention, but he couldn't be in relationship with them due to their deeds and their false or improper doctrine. Amen. It's important here from the onset of, of, of these series of lessons today to get it right that God is hating things, but he's loving people. But many times the things interrupt the relationship that we could have with God. Deuteronomy chapter number one. Deuteronomy chapter number one and verse number 27. Look at this. This is this is an interesting verse of scripture that, again, is very poignant. Amen. For the point here this morning, the Bible says. Moses, he's speaking to the children of Israel. This is along the time of whenever that the Israelites were made free from the Egyptian bondage that they were in that 400, 430 year time frame of being in Egypt. Uh, being under hard labor, having hard taskmasters that that beat them and kept their nose to the grindstones, so to speak. They were in bondage. They were in slavery. But they had been delivered from that by, by the hand of Moses being very instrumental. All the plagues came, you know, uh, the, the death of the firstborn being the last plague. They, they got out of Egypt. And so Israel, who was in bondage, you follow me? Israel, who was in bondage, begins to murmur. They've been set free. They're out now in the wilderness. They're on their journey to the promised land. And the Bible says, here's what Moses told them. He says, and ye murmured in your tents and said, look what, look what they said, because the Lord hated us. He had brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Follow me here today. So the Israel is brought out of slavery, brought out of bondage, brought out being under the hand of the taskmasters into the wilderness. Yeah, there are some things that they're having to contend with out there. But hey, newsflash, this is life. We all got things to contend with. They're brought out all this and they look at God and say, God, you know what? You've brought us. You hate us. You brought us out here, and now we're going to be destroyed by the Amorites because they were kind of in a, a little battle. There was a little heat there going on. You brought us out of Egypt. You brought us out of that, and now we're going to be destroyed right here in the wilderness. In other words, the perception, and I want to use that word, the perception of the Israelites was that God hated them and brought them out of Egypt to destroy them. That's perception. 
That's perception. When in reality, God loved them. God loved him. And since he loved them, he helped them out of their bondage. Since God, since God loved them, he helped them out of their slavery. Huh? Out of that place, he talks about the flesh pots of Egypt. He talks about the wickedness of Egypt. Egypt was just nothing more but everything that God detested. Egypt stood for, represented in a very literal way, everything that God detested. And so God is helping his people to separate. God is helping his people to separate from those things he detests. And so as he's helping the person to separate from the things that he detests and the things that he hates, the things that are littered with all these types of stuff so he could get close to them, you following me? So he get close to them. Whenever this happens, the perception of the Israelites was, you hate us and you brought us out here to destroy us. Follow me. Because whenever we are in a lifestyle of having behaviors, attitudes, character in such a way the things we are practicing are things that God detests. All right? Whenever we are doing that, whenever God is helping and aiding us to separate from them, come out of them, to us sometimes it seems like he's destroying us, like he's hating us. Oh, yeah. Like he's hating us. But you know what's really happening? I'm telling you, whenever, whenever you have someone that's been in the throes of sin and God begins to help and aid them to remove themselves from that sin, the sin that he hates, some people feel like they're about ready to die. I'm serious. Like, God, you hate me. God, you're destroying me. You know what's really going on? The dynamic of the life they had known. Is changing what they were used to, what they were accustomed to. It's changing, but it must change in order to get close to him. It's changing. And so let, let me tell you today what I really feel. And I, when I was sitting down at the kitchen table even this morning, I really felt this today. Really what is happening is those people that were in Egypt had grown accustomed to Egypt, the ways of Egypt, although they were detested in the sight of God. Whenever they begin to be separated from that, here's what I believe really was going on in the Old Testament. They were feeling a little separation anxiety from the life that they had gotten used to. They had known the things that they had practiced. And whenever they got this little bit of separation anxiety from the things that they were accustomed to, they didn't know any other way to process that than to blame somebody and say, you have done this to us. And it made them feel like that they were hated and fixing to be destroyed by the very hand that was trying to help. Everybody following me here this morning? Let's take, can we take just like an extreme case? Can, let's, I, not, I don't want to term extreme case, but the way that it could be played out, I guess, best. Take somebody that is involved in a very deep addiction, whatever the addiction may be. 
whenever somebody begins to try to help them to separate from that addiction. They are feeling like they're going to die. And many times their, their focus and point of attack is the person that's trying to help them. You are doing this to me. You are doing this to me. When reality what it is, they have done that to themselves over a process of time that it became their lifestyle. And now that they're being separated from that, their world's falling apart because that's what their world was. And so they just see somebody trying to help them away from that so that person becomes the focus. You did that. You're trying to destroy me. When in reality, the person that's trying to help is loving them, caring for them. What? Because it's hard to get close to a person that has an addiction because there's times that they're going to pay more attention to their addiction than they are to anybody else in their life. But if you can separate them from that thing, can I tell somebody today, there may be detestable attitudes and behaviors in our life, but whenever God is trying to help us and aid us and separate us, honey, he's not hating you. He's not there to destroy you. He's loving you. He's caring for you. And he's trying to pull you away so he can be in relationship with the one that he loves. God hates things, but he loves people. does in in looking perusing the scripture of God's word because I didn't want to make an improper statement as far as I could see God God hated things and not people and so I, I did some man I ran the references you know and hate hateth hates hating you know everything to see when God was in the picture. And as I thought, and it bore out true, he's, he's hating things or he's hating attitudes or behaviors or conduct. There was only one place that even seemingly ever came close where it seemed like per se, and we'll, we'll break it down, God hating a person. In Psalms chapter number 11 and verse number 5, David says, this is the chapter that is depicting the Lord in his holy temple. And David says, the Lord trieth the righteous. But the, and notice, notice the, 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 the descriptions here in the phrase, please. But the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. That's the closest as I could get to God hating a person. We'll look at this just a little further. But again, look at the description, the wicked. Why would a person be termed wicked? Because they practice wickedness. True. And notice it speaks the person then that loveth or gravitateth toward violence. Interesting this morning that this word hateth there. The word hateth there. If we were to go back, Brother Mason, into the old pictograph Hebrew. Go back to the old pictograph Hebrew. They, when they started with like symbols, literal symbols to 
represent words or characters in the Hebrew language. I, I went back and I looked at that, and uh, the, more, the more modern pictograph Hebrew of the word hadith there is, according in our letters, if you went way back, it would be something different, was an N and an X. The N and the X then was defined as pierce, thorn, or hate. Just follow with me here a little bit. The X, the meaning of the X meant to pierce or something that was sharp. It was used in conjunction with thorns or thorn bushes that many times even in the scripture, a person, if they wanted to hedge something in or keep something out, they would put a hedge of thorns or a hedge of thorn bushes in there. Shepherds many times did this even around their flock because it was a means of protection. Because somebody that's going to, you do it, if you walk in the woods and you're trying to get across a certain way and you, you, you encounter a long line of thorn bushes, how many got, are just going to plunge right on through the thorn bushes? Huh? I mean, you be man and mancha all you want to, but I'm standing here right now as a man telling you it's not happening. I'm not going to come out of there looking like I've been scratched up by, a, you know, a whole litter of cats. I'm not doing it. And so, with that being said, thorns in that hand, thorns in that hand causes a person to want to turn direction because that is an aversion. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Thorns create an aversion. All right? Where we look at the end of the word, it is meaning seed. Seed. And so when we put these two together, the N and the X, combined, it is speaking of a thorn seed. In other words, a thorn or the seed, the thorn is a seed of a plant because a thorn, that's, on the thing, that's actually the seed of that particular plant. And so the seed of the plant that has these sharp little points, again, that causes one to turn away in the direction. Whenever you see thorns, as if you're like me, you want to avoid them. You want to avoid them. Amen. You want to turn in the other direction. Direction. And so that's interesting that he uses that then for the word hate. Because that describes to us what God is talking about. There is something there that's causing me to want to avert, want to avoid. But I want to go a little further, folks. Because we're seeing this in a context almost as he's hating the soul of a person. But it's the wicked who's practicing wickedness and those who love violence. Let's go a little further. Where did the thorn come from? In scripture, where did the thorn come from? The Bible tells me you can turn to the book of beginnings, which is the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3 and chapter number 18. In that garden of Eden with the first family of Eve and Adam and the partaking of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that they were told do not partake of. But they did. And in doing so, they transgressed the command of the Lord. The very thing that God said don't do, they did. And whenever this happened and God comes down in the cool of the day and he begins to seek out Adam and Eve who's hiding themselves because they're shameful over what they have done. And he asks the woman, why? Or he asks the man, why have you done this thing? And he says, well, it's the woman who you gave me. And he asks the woman, says, well, it was the serpent that beguiled me. God boiled it all down to this whenever it came to the man. Now, the woman, the curse that was laid upon her, she'd have pain and child labor. The serpent, he would go upon his belly for the rest of his days because of the transgression, because of the sin. But man, he said, for thy sake. 
He said, the ground shall be cursed and thorns and thistles. Thorns and thistles shall grow up thereby. So in other words, whenever we consider the thorn and where the thorn came from, the thorn came from, amen, or was because of the first sin in our Bible, the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. That's where the thorn came from. Someone say amen. Therefore, to hate something or someone as it seems to be posed in Psalms, goes back to the sharp, piercing character of the thorn that was brought about by sin from the very beginning. And so what God is really hating then again, what God is really hating again, is not he's not hating Adam, he's not hating Eve, but he's hating their transgression. He's hating their sin. Folks, I'm here to tell you today, you serve a loving God that has an unconditional love, but he does hate some of our behaviors, some of our attitudes, some of our practices, and it goes all the way back to the very garden from where man was first made. God loves you, but God hates things. So what happens? And this ain't so much again. This is where you know, we try to lay it on God, but it's us with the impurity of our love. What happens? God comes down in the cool of the day. He wants to talk to Adam and Eve. What have they done, though? They've hid themselves from God. Separation is already happening. They have a God that loves them, but they're not getting close. And as a result of this, Sin problem, as a result of the thing problem, the deed problem, what does the Bible say? That he sets Adam and Eve outside of the Garden of Eden and he puts a cherubim there with a flaming sword to guard the entrance into the Garden of Eden? Separation. Separation. You will see it throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Anytime sin or those deeds that God detests enter the picture, it will always cause separation between God and his people. Does that mean he don't love them? No, he still loves them. He just can't be close to them. They can't be intimate. There's nothing reproductive that can happen from them. You'll stand with me this morning. We'll come to a close here today. So to underscore what we already know, God hates sin. God loves people. The problem lies in the fact, no matter how great the love is, he cannot go against his own nature of what he detests. He can love you, but he can't be close to you, neither you to him. Without the deeds being remedied through repentance. Because if that wasn't the case, then every individual that God loved would be able to enter into heaven with sin in their life. But see, it's more than just a matter of love. It's a matter of God not betraying his own nature. 
of getting close and putting his arms around something that he says, I hate and detest. That would be contradictive. And so with that being the case, can you even begin to start to fathom the heartbreak of God? To have such love and compassion for someone he can't be close to. Brother Mason, it would be a, it might be a life, but it would not be a happy life. For me and my wife to be married in November, it'll be 20 years. To have this undying love and compassion for her, but feel like I was estranged from her in my own home because behavior and deeds that she practiced were detestable. God loves everybody in this place today. But if you could just, if we can just close our eyes here for a moment and just imagine the heartbreak of God. Because God wants to be close to you. God wants to be close to you. God, God wants to hold you in his arms. But he's not going to cater to the things he detests. And if you are a practicer of those things, those are a part of your life. It's very hard. That's how a man who does wickedness is called wicked. You understand? That's how a man who practices stealing is identified as a stealer. Because that's, that's a hard separation. But God does it by loving you at a distance. By loving us at a distance. But he wants to be close in relationship to us. What's needful? The proud look, the lying tongue, the things that God hates. God, I surrender it to you. It's not something I'm proud of. God, I, I, I don't desire to wish to practice that anymore in my life. Okay, God says, I'll help you. Now remember, whenever God starts to help you, it's not going to feel good. When God starts to help you, it's going to feel like he's destroying you. God starts helping you, it's just going to go totally, totally diabolic to the world that you had known. But remember, this is not God hating me. This is God not destroying me. I told him I wanted to do this, and this is God loving me. And you need to keep your eye on the end result that whenever it's all said and done, the God that loves me is going to be holding me. The God that loves me is going to be close to me. The God that loves me, I'll be able to feel, and I'll be able to experience, and I'll be able to witness. Halamoshaya. Hallelujah, Jesus. That God is here this morning. That God is here this morning. Yea, there are six things that God hates. Yea, seven that are an abomination. But it's just things. And so in the closure of this service this morning, if you survey your own life, and you know what? Pastor McGee, in my own life, there are some thoughts that I've been harboring. There's some things in my heart that I've been pondering there's been some activity deeds whatever it is there are some things that's going on i can i can be honest with myself there's some things going on in my life right now that are in opposition to god and his word that 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 are that are absolutely just a a a, a, 
abode, abode statement to God that, that, that this is something that you don't like, but I'm practicing it. If that's going on in your life this morning, you know what? God loves you, and all I'm asking you today through a prayer at your seat, here at the altar, kneeling, standing, whatever it may be, is saying, God, I'm laying this down before you, this thing that you detest, because I know you love me, God, and I know you'll help me, God. And I know, God, you want to be close to me. And I, I really, God, truly, I want to be close to you. And I've, I've sometimes warded myself, why, why can't I get close to God? Why can't I? And now I'm understanding, Lord, it's a thing. It's a thing. You love me, but there's a thing. God, I'm just going to lay this down today. going to lay this down today. I want to be close to you. I need you close to me. But I know you're not going to betray your own nature, who you are. Hallelujah. If there's anybody like that in this place today, you can find a place to pray in your pew, standing up in your pew at an altar. It matters not. Nobody here is going to cast an eye of judgment because I guarantee you, every one of us have walked a road more than one time that things have cropped in our life, an ill behavior, a bad attitude, a practice that was in opposition to God, that we had to show the door, that we had to shoe out, that we had to repent of so that we could once again just go and have our lives cradled in the arms of God. But all along, I'm telling you, all along, he'll never stop loving you. He said, Brother McGee, I'm just not at that, I'm not at that place today. I, I'm, not really, I'm, not, I'm not ready to discount that deed or that thing in my life. That's okay, friend. I understand. I respect that. I want you to know God is not stopping loving you in the, in the process of that. The stealer, he's not, he's not stopped loving them. The fornicator, the adulterer, whatever it may be, he's not stopped loving them. He's patiently loving, patiently loving, patiently loving. But he longs for the day to be close to you. He longs for the day for relationship with you. Oh, let's call out to the Lord here today. Let's call out to the Lord today. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.